Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Sleep where? Sleep anywhere, that's what I say, whenever you can. This far into lockdown, my main daily motivation when I wake up is knowing that it's only 15 hours or so before I get to go back to bed again. And when so many of us are currently spending so much time in our PJs, or if you're an important key worker, needing some comfy ones for the scarce moments you get to wear them, British Boxers are the properly ethically sound independent shop for undies and nightwear that you'll probably also wear in the day for quite some months yet. They have everything from hipster briefs, which I assume have their own beards and cutoffs, uh, to pyjama separates in case um, your pyjamas don't get on well enough to hang out together. OK, look, I'm clearly not an expert, but having got some of their nightwear, I promise it's well comfy. And if you make an order at British-Boxers.com and use the code PARPOLBRO10, then you'll get 10% off anything you buy. Hey, you might accuse me of being in the pockets of big pyjama, and I would say, yes, yes I am. And it's very, very snug in here. Join me. Join me. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that is an important step towards a sense of normality. Because hey, if there's a new episode of this, then things are definitely still shit as normal and show no signs of changing. I'm Tiernan Duyeb, and as Prime Minister and toddler's collage of a burning trash pile, Boris Johnson says that for the country's education recovery, the government will take the biggest step forwards with a concerted programme. I say, hooray, supporting the music industry. Oh, no way, it'll just be Andrew Lloyd Webber and Gary Barlow doing them all, won't it? Fuck's sake. 1% is as much as we can give, said Johnson. No, it wasn't a rare moment of self-aware truth about his government's performance, but instead supporting the minimalistic pay rise for nurses, because hey, how can they possibly put their hands in their pockets if they have to use them to clap instead? And we all know what's more useful to nursing staff, right? We owe them more than words can say, said the Prime Minister last year when they saved his life after catching Covid, you know, and he was just shaking hands with everyone. But of course, it would help if Johnson had said words that meant nurses had got enough money not to have to go to food banks after their 13-hour shifts. I guess one year on from all of the pandemic, it's very clear and obvious that, as the Prime Minister said, these are tough times, and that means everyone has to be very careful about just what money is spent on. I mean, you can't just willy-nilly allow nurses to pay their bills and live somewhere, when £9 million has to be spent on a situation room in Whitehall so that Johnson can sit in it and, I guess, pretend he's in any other situation than the one he's currently in. 
I mean, situation rooms are meant to be for intelligence, so maybe it's needed so that the Prime Minister finally has somewhere he could actually go for that. But then, situation rooms are also meant for military information, and you have to wonder, why does he need that right now? Is Johnson so desperately needing updates on the supposed culture war, demanding to know that no statue has its feelings hurt, or if the army are going to step in to stop people at universities from wearing badges or dyeing their hair? Is that why? £2.6 million of taxpayers' money has just been spent on a media centre at Number 10 Downing Street because the one thing the government don't have enough of is media and if they could just get the 5% that don't support them into one room altogether then maybe they could lock the door and not have to deal with them anymore and the rest of the news won't even bother to report that it ever happened. There's not even enough money to decorate other parts of Number 10 and 11, including the flat that Johnson lives in with his partner and baby. So the Prime Minister is looking at setting up a charitable fund just to cover the costs. Millions are out of work and kids are starving, but I personally can't think of a better cause right now than more throw cushions to cover up all the ominous stains Johnson keeps leaving everywhere as he insists on humping all the furniture. The Royal College of Nursing says that the 1% pay rise, which amounts to about four quid a day, or 1,300,044,578.3rdth of a situation room, will mean large numbers of staff could quit, as it makes them feel like they aren't being valued. And I mean, that's not true, as nurses are being valued, it's just at a lot less than they're worth, so that it might lower the overall cost of the NHS, and then seem more appealing to buyers who'll pick it up at an auction, and then in turn make it unaffordable for everyone else. There is talk of a nurse's strike, which I'd support, but what might be better is just for every nurse to get bullied by Home Secretary and Marquis de Sade, Pretty Patel, and then they'd all receive £340,000 each as a settlement, like ex-Home Office Chief and child in a bald wig Philip Rutnam did. I mean, if you are accused of bullying, one way to definitely make sure that no one thinks you've done it is to have an out-of-court settlement for hundreds of thousands of pounds to ensure that no one ever talks about it again. But hey, I'm sure that Patel just chose that route for entirely innocent reasons. Or maybe £340,000 is just her giving back all the lunch money that she made her staff hand over or else. Boris Johnson said the nurses won't get a bigger pay rise as it's more important to spend money on hiring more nurses than paying the current ones as what nurses really want is just more colleagues on the wards. Sure, and I reckon you'll definitely get them in with a lack of pay. I mean, that's how to entice people into a job, isn't it? At least add a little bit of mystery as to why everyone else has left rather than stick up a job advert that just says you'd have an easier and better paid time doing almost anything else. Apply now. There was no special covering Pretty's bullying costs or money we aren't giving nurses sections in the budget last week. No, both of those were omitted and snuck out after, meaning that the Chancellor and Number Block 4, Rishi Sunak, could announce a bundle of insistencies about doing whatever it takes while making sure that most of the people doing the taking would be the ones who've already got almost everything. It was delivered, as always, in true automaton programme intonation, as though the Chancellor couldn't even spare any extras on presentation. Sunak warned that the economy will shrink by 3%, an economini, if you like, and it will take a long time to recover, which is why he's gone for the Stephen King's misery option of pretending he's going to help it heal while repeatedly breaking its legs so it can't go anywhere and leave his care. Furlough is being extended till September, as it's always nice when even government policy doesn't believe in its own Covid optimism. Self-employment support has also been extended till September, but only in the way that in May there'll be a payment to cover three months and then to replicate normal freelance life, you should be able to spread that out over five, so there's at least three days a week where you're worried about income and therefore feel like everything's back to normal. Universal credit uplift will end at the same time as furlough and SEISS does, which means that once the Covid death toll has dropped completely, we can get back to the usual rates of people dying from austerity measures like before, and it will just feel like back in 2019. 
Business rates are getting a holiday, even though we were all told that we shouldn't book one yet. Fuel duty was frozen again to make up for the ice caps doing the exact opposite. And there was a lot of talk about 95% mortgages turning generation rent into generation buy. But as there was no real help for renters announced, it wasn't clear as soon that was spelling that as BYE. Free ports will be implemented, meaning that even more people can follow in the footsteps of the government and do unlawful things. And part of the Treasury is being moved to Teesside, which makes perfect sense, as thanks to the legendary Palmo, they are brilliant in that area at covering up chicken choices so that they're unrecognisable to outsiders. What the Chancellor didn't mention, though, was social care, anything for people with disabilities and their carers, those millions who've been excluded from all pandemic support so far, children or the climate. But to be fair to him, those were all things that were being neglected pre-Covid, so I guess maybe he's just really, really pushing for things to get back to a sense of normality. There's a high chance that Sunat will have to do another one in six months' time anyway, where he'll just tell us that we've got a week to pay everything back. Well, everyone except big businesses and rentiers, as nurses will probably have to pay back their share with their massive 1% increase, as it's just not fair that the private sector have taken a hit and the public sector haven't with their pay that's been frozen for 10 years and constantly underfunded. You know, apart from all the constant pay hits that I've just mentioned, which don't count because no one really mentions them. But I guess it is us, of course, who is accountable for the last few years, so we'll have to pay it back. It makes sense. You know, the World Health Organisation have said that it was obesity that was the driver of Britain's high Covid death toll. Wow! Who knew that if we were all thinner, the borders would have closed themselves a year ago? Had no idea. New Zealand is the 11th most obese country in the world and only managed to have 26 deaths. Australia is number 16 but has had less than 1,000, whereas we in Britain are number 25 but we've now had over 130,000 people die. So maybe it's less to do with body fat and more the unnecessarily harmful bulk in number 10. Johnson said that he's putting money into making the country healthier, which is a strange way to refer to his lack of Covid control causing a rapid thinning out of the population. The Prime Minister said that he himself has worked hard to lose weight, but I don't think it counts if you shed millions of pounds by giving them to your mates. Covid infection rates, hospitalisations and deaths are all down massively, which is great, and that's why it's perfect that all schools in England have opened up this week to allow the virus another chance. The Education Secretary and Doctor Who villain The Silence, except we really wish he was, Gavin Williamson, insisted that school safety measures are in place, the very same ones that reduced transmission rates last September. Yeah, you'll remember, don't you? Remember last September when schools were so safe that having them open slowed the virus down to the extent that we had to have a lockdown in November? Yeah, it's incredible to have someone in charge of education who doesn't seem capable of learning anything. Schools are safer, pupils, says Williamson, so it's very lucky that no one else is in the schools with them and that they teach themselves. This will be the first week back in school this year for many pupils, and the Education Secretary said they're looking at longer school days and shorter holidays to allow children to catch up, because the best way to make reparations to kids and teachers for being stuck indoors and exhausted for the past year is definitely to make them stuck indoors and exhausted somewhere else for the rest of it. It's like trying to do amends to someone who's been wrongly imprisoned by paying for them to have a holiday in a Japanese capsule hotel. Another new coronavirus variant has been added to the watch list and I don't know about you but I'm getting so sick of the trend for seeing that something works and just replicating it with a slightly different name. I mean first panel shows, then superhero films and now bloody Covid as well. Boring. On the plus side, the one person who tested positive for the Brazilian variant was found by the Department of Health by that person contacting them. Uh, Which, according to Health Secretary and How to Have a Furrow Brow for Your Entire Face, Matt Hancock, means that that was a government victory. Though, I'm sure if that person now turns out to have infected anyone else, it'll be their own personal fault entirely. £37 billion has now been allocated to test and trace, which feels like quite a lot just to get a catchy phone number to ask people to call into if they can be bothered. 
In other news, the UK is cutting the amount of aid it's sending to Yemen due to the costs of the pandemic. Because while Yemen is the world's largest humanitarian crisis, helping those kids won't get Johnson a bin that has a basketball hoop on it for his new room with all the TVs in it, will it? The UN have said they're shocked by the decision and said the UK has decided to balance its books on the backs of the starving people of Yemen. Which, I mean, yeah, does sound uh, exactly like something many in the government would do if the service was there and it meant that they wouldn't have to carry their books themselves. They'd probably call it an apprenticeship or some sort of opportunity for youth employment. So now we'll just be selling Saudi Arabia the weapons to cause the famine in Yemen, but no sorry hamper alongside it to balance out the guilt. I suppose in some ways it's very good that we've finally confirmed our position on the area, and it does mean that when the government refused to spend money feeding British kids too, no one will be able to claim that they are spending money feeding kids elsewhere instead. No, no, our government are very clear that they don't like children anywhere. Over in Brexit town, cursed Baba Papa and Brexit minister Lord Frost has written an article saying that people are complaining too much about customs and form-filling, as though traders should be pleased that he's actively made their lives more cumbersome. David Frost is the sort of man who'd ram into your car and then insist you be grateful that he's given it some character. The UK are trying to extend the grace period on border checks for goods going to Northern Ireland from Britain, but the EU are launching a legal challenge saying that it violates international law. Frost has responded to this challenge by saying that the EU needs to shake off any remaining ill will they have, though I'm certain that we did that for them when we left. He seems to think the EU's legal case is just because they miss us or something. I mean, that's the weirdest excuse for unlawful activity I've ever heard, and I can only assume his current wife is still with him, out of fear that he'll burgle her house if she leaves him, and then say it's her fault for being jealous if she gets upset about it. Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe, the charity worker who was jailed in Iran for spying charges after Boris Johnson told authorities she was a journalist, has now had her ankle tag removed at the end of her five-year sentence but faces another court case. The Prime Minister tweeted that she must be released permanently and they're doing all they can to achieve this, which isn't true or he'd have refrained from saying another fucking word till she got home in case he said out loud that Nazanin has to get back to the newspaper or something and then she's arrested for another decade. Visual gag reflex Nigel Farage has announced that he's quitting active politics, which probably means he'll expect to get all the benefits from active politics in in years to come and get angry and blame everyone else when it turns out he's not allowed them anymore. And finally, as has been the big news everywhere, former royals Harry and Meghan have given an exclusive interview to Oprah Winfrey, where Meghan said the royals treated her so badly that there were times she contemplated suicide, which means the Queen has now added that to her list of deaths that the public may find plausible. Apparently, one unnamed royal was concerned that Meghan and Harry's baby's skin may be too dark and that they wouldn't get security. Now, I have to say I wasn't remotely interested in the interview, as if I wanted to hear a couple go on and on about how the royal family are racist and the British press are racist and shit, then I'd just have a conversation with my wife. Ha, that's a joke. We're too tired to discuss anything other than what to have for dinner. But the interview has completely changed my view of the monarchy. I mean, I was certain that they were all giant lizard people, but actually lizards' eyes can recognise all colours, so now I think sadly the royals must be human. Prior to the interview, many newspapers reported that Meghan was being investigated for bullying, which I can only assume is because Prince Philip kept demanding she clean things or bring food, and he got upset when she reminded him that she was family, not the staff. While there has been a lot of support for Meghan and Harry, many of the newspapers, of course, insist that the royals aren't an outdated, costly institution steeped in racism. But if that's true, then why do all the guards at Buckingham Palace have to be trooped by colour every single morning? Hmm? I should just say that before I recorded, the Society of Editors UK responded to the interview by insisting that the British press isn't bigoted. But considering how much they've lied about everything else, I expect a small retraction of that on page 24 in all the coming weeks. 
Hello to you. Um, I didn't want to mention the Harry and Meghan stuff this week, but unfortunately the fact that our country still pays a ton of money for a bunch of increasingly withered people to have gold chairs just because they were born into the right family is a large part of why the UK is a stupid, stupid place. As awful as it is, and I mean it is awful, um, there is absolutely nothing remotely surprising about Meghan saying she'd experienced racism from that family. I mean, it's basically always been Prince Philip's personal shit brand, and it's completely indicative of our culture that it was seen as a funny trait rather than proof he should have been sent on a never-ending awareness course until he was fixed. It's so, so weird, and yes, I know this is an often remarked thing and not at all original, but it is weird that if tabloids found any other family that kept having kids leeching off the state and defending their paedophile son, they'd be vilified within seconds. Uh, but this lot get away with it because they are loaded and they love them. Uh, I always love the Sue Townsend book, The Queen and I, uh, where the monarchy is abolished and they all get moved into a council estate. If you've never read it, it is beautifully funny, if a tad dated now, and I still think a really, really good idea. Um, but yeah, anyway, that story uh, is on this podcast too as yet another example of the racism within the system and now I promise I won't ever talk about it ever again no I didn't do descriptions for Harry and Meghan I sort of felt like they didn't deserve it ever it's it's weird isn't it it's weird to have sympathy for people that are quite wealthy and doing all right there was a moment where Harry said oh he'd been cut off financially from his family and I thought I mean you still you still got an awful lot of money I can't really be that's sad for you um, but obviously lots of it is awful um, I'm not going to talk about it anymore I don't want to talk about it anymore it is everywhere it's all over the news there are other important politics things but I had to mention it just a little bit what I will talk to you about now though uh, is a little boast I got my vaccines booked yeah it turns out there are benefits to having type 1 diabetes aside from you know getting to fix some of the worst symptoms with a biscuit which is actually still definitely the best benefit of having type 1 diabetes um, but apart from that it meant that I qualify for this next round of vaccine so I'm getting jabbed in the arm this Friday and then once I jab them back I think we have an overall scuff and then if I win the fight I get the injection or something not really sure how it works anyway I'll be fully double jabbed by early June if it all goes to plan and then I'll be able to come around and cough in all your faces individually just in time for the summer so hopefully that will give you something to look forward to for then then um, yes I know there are still concerns that people who've been vaccinated can transmit the virus but I promise I won't does that help I'll just make sure I won't I promise I won't do that wouldn't do that I'm not that kind of guy so uh, that should sort it out Thanks. Anyway, I'm very excited and I'm secretly hoping that the vaccine jab makes me a little bit ill so I can spend one day in bed complaining about it and not parenting and just watching TV. Um, But unfortunately, I've said that out loud around our flat too many times now and I don't think my wife or agent will believe me if I say I'm all sickly. So, me and my big mouth. Not much else to say this week, really. Um, other than the shout-out to all the teachers who listen to this and all parents with kids who've gone back to school, um, I hope things are safe for you all and that I'm not making jokes about how schools have had to close again by next week's show. Uh, also, a very big shout-out to Kim and somebody for donating to the Kofi this week. And as always, um, should you fancy donating to the show, especially now as it seems a second SEISS payment is to cover five months but only be three months' pay. Woohoo! Thanks, Rishi. That's so helpful. Uh, then you can do that via Kofi.com forward slash bro. Join the Patreon.com forward slash bro via the ACAR supporter button or just get something from British-boxers.com using the code bro 10 And of course, you can just review the show somewhere or tell someone about it or listen to it on 6 under different devices with different IP addresses and that'll be as good uh, to be fair I mean if anything if all of you did that that would be can all of you go out and buy 600 different devices with different IP addresses that would really help this show uh, might actually make the uh, podcast charts one day in my life uh, that'd be great thank you 
Right, uh, that is it. I don't have any don't have any other news for you this week. So instead, on this week's show, I am talking to Alyssa at the brilliant charity Magic Breakfast, who are properly brilliant. They are an amazing charity, and they make sure that kids are fed all over the UK. Um, and in the middle of the show, I take a little look-see at what you really need to know about the budget. And no, it's not what's in the red box. No, we all know it contains a poo, and that's why the Chancellors always have to hold it at arm's length. Yes, that is true. Yes, it is. No, don't look it up. It's definitely true. Definitely true. The only reason you should ever think feeding kids is bad is if you're feeding them to something, like the ancient village mythical beast. Otherwise, there should be nary a soul who'd be against the idea of children having enough to eat, unless it's very specifically because they're asking for a snack just an hour before dinner is ready, and you know that means there's no way they're going to eat the healthy meal you spent ages preparing for them because they're now full of crisps. Ugh, sorry that got really personal for me then. Drives me nuts. I find it truly strange that we live in an age where providing kids with food can be a contentious issue, especially as it's usually the one emotional hit point that would make even Miss Trunchbull give to charity. But of course, it's 2021, so that means we have a government who'll try their very best to dodge spending extra cash on free school meals for kids who need them, presumably because they need that extra money in order to spend it on another media room or something important like that. And anyway, how will children get prepped for next year's Hunger Games rollout as the way to rebuild the country post-Covid otherwise? It has only really been down to celebrity pressure from footballer Marcus Rashford that's seen two big U-turns from the government on providing free school meals to children who need them during the school holidays. And while I think very, very highly of Rashford, I think he's brilliant, when it comes down to a footballer having to persuade the government to feed kids, it does feel like we've hit a low. And also, I suppose there's a massive sigh of relief that times have changed and it wasn't, say, Gaza demanding that they all get chicken buckets and six cans each, or it might not have worked. If it wasn't for Marcus Rashford, the government had seemed pretty keen to just let kids go a week or so without any grub whatsoever. And I understand the Prime Minister doesn't really know how many children he has or what it is that they do or what they look like, but to presume that maybe children like squirrels bury bits of their term-time food in order to store them for the winter, or like a camel store it up in their back so they can go for weeks without, is just really odd. Of course, as many Conservative MPs insisted during the debates about it, It's the parents' fault for not providing food as responsible parents wouldn't have let a global pandemic happen and it's all their fault if they aren't willing to instantly develop a vaccine on the spot or do like other responsible parents and drive to Barnard Castle to test their eyesight. Child poverty has been rising in the UK since 2012 and will reach the highest since records began by 2023 unless some action is taken now. Children that are hungry don't learn or progress as well as their peers and often go on to have health issues later in life. So why, when Gavin Williamson insists his focus is on delivering the best for children, that doesn't include grub, proving he definitely shouldn't be education secretary if he wouldn't even do well as a delivery driver. This week I spoke to Alyssa Remtula, Head of Policy and Campaigns at the amazing charity Magic Breakfast, who have, for the past 20 years, provided free school breakfast to children who need them and would otherwise go hungry in the mornings. While it is obviously a shame that such a charity should ever have a need to exist, they now do invaluable work supporting hundreds of thousands of children in England, Scotland and Wales. Just before the budget, Magic Breakfast had a big campaign to get the Chancellor to include a permanent breakfast support scheme in his policy announcements. But sadly and unsurprisingly, nothing of the kind was mentioned. So I asked Alyssa about how the pandemic has affected the demand for free school meals for kids, why it takes the support of a famous footballer for people to get behind the really not very radical idea of actually feeding children and just what the government should do next. You know, in an ideal world where there's an entirely different government, but not ideal enough that they've fixed child poverty yet. Yes, the bar for a better world right now is really very low. I really appreciate Alyssa having time to chat in what has been a very, very busy week for the campaign with schools going back. Um, 
And I should say, as is always the case when talking charities on this show, uh, charities do have to remain impartial, such as uh, the gagging law and government funding and all that jazz. Uh, so you'll appreciate there are certain questions that I didn't want to ask because I didn't want to put uh, Alyssa on any sort of tricky ground. So um, I hope you enjoy this and I find this as informative and as useful as I did when speaking to her. It was great talking to her earlier today. Um, here is Alyssa. Hi Alyssa, thank you for speaking to me in, in what I know is a busy week. We're talking on the day that schools are going back. So obviously Magic Breakfast is incredibly busy uh, working with schools again to deliver breakfast. Um, uh, the first thing I want to ask really was, you know, how much of an increase in demand for meals have you seen, um, you know, for, for children since the start of the pandemic? And are you expecting this uh, to decrease as things return to normal and schools are now reopening or or not? Is it even busier and uh, is there even more demand? Yeah, so I think since the start of the pandemic, we've absolutely seen an increase in the number of meals that we're serving to children and the number of children that are accessing breakfast at school. And I think it was worse at the very start of the pandemic. And now we're seeing things sort of level off. But we did a bit of a survey with our schools back in the start of autumn. And what we found is that about two thirds of teachers have seen an increase in the number um, in the level of poverty in their school community. And then about half of teachers have seen an increase in the number of children coming to school hungry. So what that's meant for us is that we've seen about a 35 percent increase in the number of children accessing breakfast at school. Um, But I think the national picture is roughly the same. There was a big kind of spike at the start of the pandemic. Things are starting to level off now, but it's still sort of higher than it was before the pandemic. And whether or not it will go back to normal, I mean, I hope so. I hope that as the economy kind of starts to recover, we'll see less children going to school hungry. It kind of remains to be seen at this point, I think. I was going to say, you, you said you saw a big spike at the, the beginning of the pandemic and it sort of levelled out a bit. Is that, yeah. I'm just guessing, because of the, the the panic and people initially losing work, unfortunately, through it all, uh, and, and parents sort of being put in difficult financial positions then, and, and perhaps we're seeing the start of work coming back or or things supposedly returning to normal. Is that, is that what you're putting it down to, or was there another reason why it was bigger at the start and, and less so now? I think there's a bunch of different reasons. Definitely food insecurity is like undeniably linked to economic deprivation and people not having enough money in their household budget. But at the start of the pandemic, we also saw a lot of panic buying. And I know you'll remember as much as I do, you know, you go to the supermarket, what you would normally want isn't there. But for you or me, it's pretty easy to kind of substitute something else in. Whereas if you're in a family that has an incredibly stretched budget, it's not as easy to kind of sub products in and out. Um, we also saw a lot of families obviously shielding or isolating for whatever reason that kind of made it more challenging to get food. And again, for me, I just get delivery and treat myself. But for a family that might not be able to do that, you know, food insecurity can come from a lot of different places. I also think like, you know, uh, I'm sure we'll come on to this, but there's lots of things the government did do at the start of the pandemic and continues to do. And I think there was a bit of a lag between the programs actually taking effect. So, for example, like the free school meal vouchers. And they took a couple months to kind of become effective for children. And in that kind of gap, there was probably more food insecurity. Sure. And I'm guessing universal credit uplift uh, probably made a difference as well. Because that took a while. If I remember, it didn't kick in immediately beginning of pandemic. I think that's right. Yeah. And I think £20, you know, that additional uplift made a big difference to people's budgets. And um, yeah, it's continuing to make a difference right now. Although I think now, you know, we're seeing the wind down of some of those schemes as well. Yeah, of course, of course, which I am going to ask you about in a minute. Um, I, I, I suppose I wanted to ask from the point of view of, of Magic Breakfast, what have been 
you know the biggest challenges of, of of the past year for you in in ensuring children aren't going hungry when they've been remote learning instead of at school has it been a lot harder to to reach out to kids and and I suppose find where they are yeah it was it was quite difficult for us so as a charity we normally de- deliver through schools um so during term time when children are sat in schools that's that's kind of our delivery um kind of distribution system but when schools were closed we had to really adapt very quickly and kind of change our way of delivering so what we ended up doing is we started delivering like take-home breakfast packs which were basically like the same types of foods we would have delivered in school but in a way where parents could collect them from school we also then had to work out what to do for the schools that weren't open at all and that couldn't take deliveries and so we started um kind of a network of alternative distribution sites which was like community centers food banks teachers homes and um, churches in some some instances that were willing to accept the deliveries. And then it was just really down to, you know, the commitment of individuals who took it upon themselves to kind of distribute this take-home breakfast packs to children's homes. And then kind of later in the pandemic, we also developed the capability to deliver directly to children's stores and, and launched a really cool partnership with Amazon to make that possible. Um, so it was it was a bit of a struggle when we didn't kind of have that school day as the way to deliver to children. But I think over the past year now, um, we've made it work. And I think, um, yeah, we've been able to reach, you know, the majority of the children we would normally. That must have been such a stressful level of reorganisation that you had to do so very quickly. I mean, that must. how did you manage to put it together so fast? Because, you know, everything shut down within a matter of, well, probably not as quickly as it maybe should have done, but it, it was a very rapid uh, change from school suddenly being open to being closed. Yeah, it was, it came out of the blue. For me, I just wasn't expecting it. I kind of was looking at the pandemic and thinking this is what happens in other countries until pretty much the day when schools closed here. Um, Yeah, it was very challenging, especially because at the same time, our staff um, were switching to working from home with almost no notice at all. But I think we had, you know, fantastic support. I really want to say like from the food industry in particular, we had loads of kind of companies stepping up to donate more food. Um, because we did need more food to kind of deliver the take-home breakfast packs. Um, we had, yeah, we just sort of all pulled together as a team and set up this kind of network of alternative distribution and these take-home breakfast packs. And yeah, a year later, I think we're more resilient and that if there is sort of like a future pandemic or any kind of future crisis, um, we've now got a way of delivering that we didn't before. And even if there isn't a future crisis, we've now got a way of delivering to children when they're not in schools. We will have really positive implications for delivering over the holidays. Yeah, that's really amazing. And uh, yeah, an incredible thing to get put in place so quickly as well. Um, it's it, One of those things you sort of mentioned that when, when kids are... Um, at home even during the holidays I, I think it was it was incredibly heartening how many people backed Marcus Rashford's campaign I've got the utmost respect for for him and everything that he did but I mean is it quite frustrating that it required like a celebrity to step in to change government policy to extend the free school meals provision because I mean I maybe I'm being a bit naive here but I sort of feel like most people would like children to be fed and would like children to not go hungry um and I just wonder how, how it must feel from, from a, a charity that's been doing such good work feeding kids it is it, you know, all the effort you put in, is it is it difficult to know that it only happens when such a big voice steps in uh, and, and, you know, it kicks up a fuss about it? One thing I would say about Marcus Rashford is, yes, he's a celebrity, but he's also a young person who's lived through food insecurity. And I think that means he has a powerful and kind of unique voice that's maybe different than other celebrities who might have waded into this issue. And actually, it's entirely right that we should be taking our direction for people from people who have experienced food insecurity and because they'll have that firsthand experience and knowledge. 
and I think it's a really positive thing that he's using his platform in this way. Um, and that he's absolutely able to sort of reach audiences that I couldn't reach as kind of a policy person and that Magic Breakfast as a charity couldn't reach without him. I've had so many friends who like probably have never paid attention to what my job is up till now being like, did you see the Marcus Rashford stuff? So um, no, I think like enormous appreciation um, for what he's done. And I think it, what has been really fantastic about him is that he's really taken his direction, both from families that are experiencing this in the here and now, and that he's partnered really closely with charities and, and listened to kind of what our recommendations for government were and tried to champion those rather than sort of coming up with something new. And um, yeah, I think it's it's probably a positive example of where things have all kind of funneled in the right direction and it's not felt tokenistic in any way. Sure. Yeah, I, I should say that I, I absolutely um, think he's brilliant. And I was really, you know, I think what he did was incredible. And it's so lovely when people like him use his platform in, in such a positive way. I, I suppose what I mean is, you know, it, it's, it, uh, again, maybe I'm being naive about this, but I feel like this should have been headlines right from the start. Kids aren't having meals and it, and it should have been something the whole country is aware of. And, and, and yeah. it, it felt like it took him standing up to say it before anyone paid attention. And I, I just wondered, you know, from, from your point of view and, and, and and as a charity, why it's such a struggle to get people to understand that, that kids are, are going hungry without this sort of help. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think there's a lot of different reasons. I wonder if hunger is quite hidden in this country compared to other countries. And if there's quite a bit of like shame and stigma kind of associated with talking about it and saying like our family needs something and sort of asking for help. And if that in some ways kind of masks it. I think there's also like a lack of understanding of the different factors that lead to food insecurity. I think there might be people out there that would say, well, why don't they just give their kids some oatmeal? Like, why don't they just buy some vegetables and make a vegetable soup? And I think it's like, there's so many different factors. One of them is like household budget and what you have in your pocket if you have enough money to buy the food. It's also like, what house do you live in? Do you have a cooker? Do you have a stove? Do you have a pot? Do you have all the utensils you need? Do you have money to turn on that cooker? Do you have the time? Do you know the recipe? Like eating healthily and making sure your children have the food they need. I think what one thing I've learned working at Magic Breakfast is so much more kind of complex than I thought it would be. And Perhaps there's a bit of a lack of understanding within our society as a whole of, of the issue, especially if we're not seeing it every day and not sort of confronted with it. But I think what changed in the pandemic was that so many people were experiencing food insecurity and many for the first time ever, that that kind of pervaded our kind of consciousness as a, as a society in a way that it maybe hadn't before. But even before the pandemic, it was quite a widespread issue. Um, you know, it's it's a substantial amount of children that are kind of experiencing our estimate before the pandemic was 1.8 million children. So that's, that's a big number, even pre pandemic. Yeah, it's a massive number. It's, it's, yeah, it's really appalling. I mean, it was one of those things that I found amazing was I think when it all kicked off, uh, especially, you know, it was all on social media, but there were people kind of, well, I bought bread and beans for this much money. And everyone was saying, well, they can't eat bread and beans. Children can't eat bread and beans every day. They'll be quite yeah. ill. I'm sure, yeah. you know, my daughter loves eating bread and beans. I don't think she'd, <laughs> I don't think she'd have it every day. <laughs> she probably exactly. would, actually. It wouldn't be very good for her. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> lack of understanding what, that actually we need vitamins and, and fruit and veg. And, and it's that, I, I suppose, making sure they have a balanced diet, exactly. to use that term. Yeah. yeah. It's, um... One of the things that I know uh, Magic Breakfast called for, and, you, and you, you had your big campaign, um, was to get free school breakfast included in the budget, um, and it wasn't. And there wasn't really any further money for schools at all, apart from the little bit that, that Gavin Williamson announced the week before. Um, what 
are your thoughts on what was and wasn't mentioned in the budget and how it might affect children's well-being um, and, and children in poverty in general? And what are your what do you think that the government need to do next? Well, I think looking at the budget, what was really disappointing is I don't think the chancellor said the word children in the entire time he was on his feet. And um, one thing we always sort of do after a budget is, you know, you go control find on all of the budget documentation to see all of the references to education, all the references to children, all the references to food insecurity. I mean, there there were none. So that that's disappointing. Um, I think that, you know, what needs to happen now it's positive that there's been catch-up funding announced for education and like for sure children have been out of school you know off and on for the last year and they need support to kind of catch up on the learning that they've lost out on and as magic breakfast we absolutely support that but I think our point is that if you add extra hours to the school day and you put in place all these tutoring programs and whatever else it is for the children that are at risk of hunger who can't concentrate on their lessons because they have a rumbling stomach or an empty stomach you know, extra hours in the school day doesn't help because they're going to miss out on those hours just like they were going to miss out on the hours that were part of the school day before this. So I think that what we hear from teachers as well is that, you know, they're really concerned about the educational learning loss. They're also concerned about their people's mental health and well-being and the impact this pandemic has had on their social skills and isolation. And, you know, there's a whole host of concerns that go beyond um, attainment. And I think in some ways we've become kind of too focused on looking strictly at, you know, how do we get their key stage one outcomes back up? Um, So what we would say is that we want kind of um, a broader kind of package of measures for children that support that kind of well-being and and recovery in a broader sense. Um, School breakfasts are absolutely part of that. Um, So for the budget, we were calling for new funding to be announced for school breakfasts. And the reason we wanted to see that in the budget is because funding for school breakfast actually ends in July of this year, so at the end of the academic year. Um, And, you know, we don't want kids to be coming back to school next September with no access to school breakfast. And it's worth saying that although the government does fund school breakfast right now, their funding actually only reaches about 7% of the schools that need that funding. Um, So our call was for that funding to be scaled up as well as um, made more long-term and sustainable. One of the other issues is at the moment, the government funds school breakfast in a school for kind of one to two years, and then they stop funding that school and start funding another school to kind of provide free school breakfast. So there are a lot of kind of issues in the way it's provided now, but what is being provided now has made a big difference to children at risk of hunger. So what we wanted to see was that scaled up in the budget and made more long-term and sustainable. Though our campaign for breakfast in the budget was not successful, And we did have one really positive indication from government last week um, about school breakfast funding. And we had the Minister for Children and Families and she got up in Parliament. I think it was the day or the the day before the budget and basically just said we're committed to extending beyond July 2021 and we expect to say more shortly. So that that's a great example of, you know, what does the word shortly mean? Hopefully it means they'll be announcing something in the next month or so. But we're kind of staying tuned and waiting for the announcement. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role 
like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And we'll be back with Alyssa in a minute, but first. Budget, budget. Another budget, budget, budget. Yes, another one of them budgets has happened. And I'm not going to go into every teeny tiny little detail, but it's very safe to say that like Rishi Sunak's endless, pointless social media posts, it was largely the same useless shit, but with a different filter on it. Sunat made a big hoo-ha, you know, as much as you can when you can't make your voice do anything more than bored tannoy announcement, about how, once again, he will do whatever it takes to support businesses and people. But in reality, quite a lot of the whatever it will take wasn't even mentioned. Now, it is possible that he's made cuts to his own awareness of what the country needs, but chances are higher that it was just another thing that he said in a nice font that will go on a fancy tweet, and there's still going to be large chunks of the country that will be completely screwed by last Wednesday's announcements. Oh, for sure it is good that there is more support to cover the further pandemic poo times, but all of it looks like it's due to end in six months, meaning that suddenly, wham, everyone's unemployed, broken out of a home, just in time for autumn. I mean, at least get that right, Rishi, and end it a month earlier in time for summer. Come on. In October, the universal credit lift will get cut, meaning the poorest households will have a drop in income of 7%, and unemployment benefits will be at their lowest level since the 1990s, which unemployment is also likely to hit a big old high as soon as the furlough ends. The SEISS payments are lasting till September, but only because the last payment in May is for three months' cash, but to last five months, which does make me worry that Sunak thinks the tax year is only nine months long, which I guess would explain a lot. At least the SISS now includes people who are registered self-employed in 2019-20, but there's still hundreds thousand people have been excluded from all help and will continue to get nada. And all most young people have is the kickstart scheme which has so far only really created three jobs per 1,000 and there's no support to help anyone retrain who's lost work. But that's okay as all of that bad news balances out with contactless payments now being up to £100 so you can walk too close to a till and accidentally buy someone else's shopping if you're having a really good day. There are actually a ton of reasons why increased contactless payments are discriminatory and make things harder for homeless people as we no longer have change to give them and stuff like that. But also it makes me spend tons of money I don't have because I just can't resist pretending that I have a magic Jedi card. It's really hard not to do that. Social care wasn't even mentioned at all in the budget, even though it's set to have a £4 billion funding gap by 2025, something that was exacerbated by cheeky Covid, and the fact that the protective ring around care homes that the government promised seemed to be on the outside of them and stopped any PPE coming in. As you'll hear in this week's interview, there's no money for free school meals, and there was also a large hole where something, anything, should have been said about what's known as COVID legacy costs. Which, yes, it does sound like it's some sort of fund for a statue of COVID, which wouldn't be good, but then once it was up, the government would also get angry if anyone wanted to tear it down. Anyway, it's not that, so don't even think about that. It's the costs that are needed to deal with COVID in future years if it doesn't just do a vanishing act a la Spanish flu. Government departments have had £150 billion extra last year and this year to deal with all the COVID stuff. But from April 2022, there's nothing there. So will they just stop doing vaccine programmes? Will that be it? Will test and trace stop working? Sorry, I mean keep working exactly as it has been. Will hospital backlogs mean that you'll have to book appointments for a decade's time and just hope you've accurately described what state you'll be in by then? 
Difficult to know. In fact, what the government have announced instead is a £15 billion cut to government departments per year, starting after this one, which already included a £4 billion cut. So yeah, by realising that many services were underprepared for a pandemic and needed extra funding, Rishi Sunak has worked out that for extra security and safety in future, should there be a next time, the same just needs to happen again, but worse. And whatever the new Lurgy is, Hyper Edition SARS-2 or something, we might also still be dealing with COVID remnants at exactly the same time. The climate got a tiny mention, which is odd as it's a huge bloody thing, and the main global warming tackling strategy was a new infrastructure bank that will, to quote the Labour Manifesto 2019 where it's been copied and pasted from, finance the Green Revolution. Except it won't, as the Office for Budget Responsibility has said the funding of £12 billion per year is so small it will have absolutely no effect on anything. Like an infrastructure version of Grant Shapps, if you like. What is weird is that the £12 billion allocated is actually £20 billion less than the government's own commission recommended. And even worse, it's now four years since the Conservatives sold off the Green Investment Bank that had a national infrastructure remit, and four years since leaving the European Investment Bank that spent £5 billion a year on projects. So basically, this is just a cheap reboot with a terrible cast and a smaller budget, and as we know from experience, that never ever works. What makes it worse is that Green Homes grant of £1.5 billion, an insulation scheme that was started last year, ends this month, and those who take advantage of it have to have the work done by 2022. Except the scheme is so rubbish and confusing, only 6% of the funds have actually been allocated, and rather than roll the rest of the funds over or continue the scheme, it just looks like it's going to end. So in the year that we're holding the COP26 Climate Change Conference, we're unlikely to meet any of our own climate change targets, as scrapping the one scheme that we had and spending not enough money achieving nothing at all, and it'll still be cheap to buy petrol, because hey, you may as well drive around looking at everything on fire. It's basically like the Henry's cat of climate change tackling. Yes, that is a very dated reference. No, I won't explain what Henry's cat is. You Google it, look it up and then laugh at a joke that you'll have forgotten by then. Hey, gives you something to do and we all need that right now. Two other things worth noting about the budget. Um, there was nothing at all for renters, which is worrying, as there's currently 700,000 renters in debt arrears, and the eviction ban runs out at the end of this month. Uh, local housing allowance is frozen from April 2, which will make it harder for renters to access appropriate benefits to afford their rent. However, if you want to buy a home, stamp duty holiday has been extended for three more months, and there are now 95% mortgages, which in the south of the country you'll still need a massive deposit for, and there's still a shortage of houses, so oh no, house prices will rise all over the shop, which will also push up rent prices, and I'll see you down the park, because that's where we we all live now. We'll turn generation rent into generation buy, said Sunak, making it sound like a really awful magic trick. But if anything, he's just going to turn a lot of them into generation homeless and everyone else into generation broke, while generation buy become generation buy everything else and everyone else's generation why oh why. Then there's one billion pounds for levelling up towns, which take it from me as someone who lives in a hilly area. I don't really want more of that. The money that Sunak announced won't even halfway cover the £2.4 billion that's been cut from towns in the last 10 years. And also, it's a little bit fishy-rishy that 39 of the 45 towns that are getting the funding are represented by Conservative MPs. There's also the Community Renewal Fund, which is a separate pot of cash that, again, seems to be benefiting mostly Conservative seats, including Sunak's own, which is also receiving the levelling up fund, despite being in the top five most prosperous places in England. Is it levelling up, or is it the case that if you have money, you can buy upgrades before you play the game, meaning that you're auto automatically way ahead from everyone else and benefit from the advantage. This is a moment of difficulties and of possibilities too, said the Chancellor, but sadly, based on this budget, it's mostly a possibility of more difficulties for loads of us. Ah, if only some of the departmental cuts included the role of the Chancellor. And now, back to Alyssa. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, if without that announcement, is it that all just all funding for, for free school breakfast just stops dead in July? Is it, it just it's it was just um, the policy was just until the end of July for, yeah. for this year. Yeah. 
And had it just been an annual policy before that, or is it was it a, a five year policy that ends at that time? Or you know, I wondered what the reasons for it stopping this year were originally. Yeah, so it started in March 2018, um, and it was originally supposed to run for two years, and then we had kind of another one year extension, and then we had another three month extension. So we've had a couple of extensions now, and we think that you know at this point. That's like a short term project for a small number of schools that's now coming to an end. And what we want to see in the next phase is something more long term and sustainable for all the schools that need it rather than just the 7% of schools. Yeah, especially as it's a problem that hasn't gone away. It, it, yeah. sort of, it still needs to, to be dealt with. Is, am I right in thinking um, Scotland have got a scheme? I know, I think for, at least for primary school children, uh, that, where they expect all primary school children to get free breakfast from it's from 2023. I think I might have got that slightly wrong. It's it's August 2022, but at the moment it's manifesto right. commitment from the Scottish National Party. So if the SNP kind of get back in um, after Scottish elections, then they've made that commitment from August 2022. And what's interesting is theirs is a commitment to, as you said, universal primary free school breakfast for all children in all schools, which I think will have you know, a fantastic role in kind of breaking down stigma and making this just a bit more normalised that children would have breakfast in school. Right. Yeah, that is that is a brilliant thing. But obviously, you said the manifesto promise and then it's going to get through Scottish Parliament as well. So yeah. we'll have to see. Um, it does seem like it's, it's just a no brainer to, to put these sorts of yeah. things through. Um so, I mean, if if uh, we don't hear the the announcement shortly, or it's perhaps only for another three months or something, just to be difficult, I, I wonder what what can people do to to support um, Magic Breakfast and just to really su- support, you know, make, making sure that kids get fed. I suppose. I mean, it, it, again, I, I sort of say it out loud, and I feel like I don't understand why this isn't a thing that we're already doing. Um, but what is it that that you know, listeners that are listening to this thinking this is this is upsetting that we're not doing this? What can they do to support you and and to support that cause? Yeah, I think I'd highlight three things. The first is, I mean, if you're in a position to donate, donating to Magic Breakfast helps us feed more children at risk of hunger. And at the moment, it's around 34p for us to provide a breakfast to a child. So it's kind of a really low cost, high impact intervention. Um, If you're not in a position to donate, and lots of people won't be right now, um, helping us kind of raise awareness and helping us campaign is, is the other kind of two things you could do. Um, so in terms of helping us raise awareness, if people are able to kind of follow our Twitter and, um, you know, help us amplify our messaging on social media, that's always appreciated. And then um, the last one, which, you know, is kind of my bread and butter is helping us to campaign. So if you kind of go to the website and have a look at our campaigns page, we run kind of campaigns um, every now and then. But even if we're not right to your MP, ask them if they're supporting the call for school breakfast funding and and tell us what they say. Because I think the more voices we have on this issue kind of saying the same thing, the more likely we are to kind of achieve something. Absolutely. Is it, is it really 34p? 34p. That's really, that's amazing. That's barely anything at all when you think about it. And, and what's, just out of interest, what does that sort of provide a, a kid with? So we offer kind of a range of breakfast food products um, in our in our provision in school. Um, it includes low sugar cereals. Um, bagels. In some schools, we also serve beans. In some schools, we serve juice. Um, and I think I haven't said oatmeal. We also have oatmeal. So it's a real kind of variety <laughs> of products. And in a club, when we're in school, children can kind of choose what they want. Um, and when we've been doing take-home breakfast packs, they get a bit of everything, um, which is one of the reasons why we needed more food to kind of send packs home. Of course, that's absolutely brilliant. God, thank you for being, that's amazing. And, and I, I suppose one thing I should have asked you at the beginning is, you know, it's proven, and, and I've, I've read through all your, all your website as well, you know, it's, it's proven that 
just having a bit of breakfast, as you mentioned, it helps them learn yeah. and helps them, uh, you know, progress. And, and I know there's issues with health later in life if they're, if they're not eating properly. But is there also, um, I think it was mentioned on the news this morning, there's a sort of social aspect yeah. to the breakfast clubs too. Yeah, absolutely. So the majority of our teachers tell us that, you know, they notice improvements in children's kind of social skills as well as emotional and mental well-being. And I've been doing interviews this past week for a new program we're starting at Magic Breakfast, which will kind of facilitate young people with lived experiences of food insecurity to campaign um, with us and kind of lead us in that effort. Um, And one of the questions we've been asking these young people is, you know, what do you think the benefits of school breakfasts are? And actually, none of them really say, you know, it helps me achieve better at Key Stage 1. They all sort of talk about um, the activities they do at Breakfast Club, the chance they have to meet people in other year groups and kind of form those bonds um, with people of different ages. They all talk about how they just kind of like sitting down and speaking to their friends in the morning and sharing breakfast with them and having kind of that soft start to the day where they can kind of um, make that transition between what might have gone on at home and getting ready to kind of learn in the classroom and have that sort of soft start. So that's what I hear from young people is that, you know, that's actually more important to them getting to see their friends and kind of chill out a bit before lessons start. Yeah, I bet it is. I, uh, our daughter is very nearly three and she eats more at nursery than she does at home. And yeah. we always hear from nursery, she's had all her lunch today. Oh, has she really? Because she wouldn't eat any at home yesterday. But it's because she's sitting with all her mates yakking away. Stuff in her face. Yeah, yeah, it starts it early. A big old difference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Magic Breakfast, we've actually published just some new research um, a couple of weeks ago now that basically shows that a child who attends a breakfast club um, achieves better kind of outcomes at key stage one and does better um, through GCSEs as well and that in the long term that means that they're able to kind of secure more highly paid work um, and actually means benefits for a child of around £9,000 per pupil so just providing a child with school breakfast for one year um, has the potential to kind of bring back around £9,000 in long-term economic benefits um, which actually means there's a return on investment of around every one pound invested brings back 50 pounds for the economy. So that was one of the kind of um, pieces of research we were trying to plug most in the lead up to the budget and kind of really make the point that an investment in school breakfast now from the government reaps rewards later and is really just particularly important as we look to kind of build back from Corona. Yeah, it's incredible. So it's not, you know, from the point of view of economics, I suppose, rather than uh, humanity, maybe, but it's it's not, it's it's got long-term values, rather. It's not just a short-term exactly. thing helping to feed kids here and now. It's actually beneficial for many, many years to come for the entire country. Yeah, yeah. And that it's a smart investment for government. It's a low cost kind of high impact intervention um, that by anybody's standards would give you kind of, I don't like this word, but value for money is the way I describe it. Well, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Alyssa, for, for um, having the time to chat. As I said, I know it's a very busy week for you um, this week in particular. Um, and, and just the last question I want to ask you, which is something that I ask every interview we have on the show, really, um, is that apart from yourselves and, uh, you know, everyone at Magic Breakfast, really, um, what campaigners, writers, websites would you recommend that listeners check out on the issues of, of child poverty um, or, or, you know, what are the people and places that you go to for, for info? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, there's a few, actually. I think I want to call out the Food Foundation, who throughout COVID-19 have just done a brilliant job of kind of having the most up-to-date statistics and just monitoring food insecurity as it's changed throughout the pandemic. So they've got some really interesting research. Um, there's also the End Child Food Poverty kind of website and coalition of charities um, that have been working with Marcus Rashford to kind of advance some of the recommendations he's been putting forward. And I think 
an incredibly effective campaign. Um, and then my sort of one of my personal favorites is the Joseph Roundtree Foundation, because they have some fantastic kind of research on the state of things. But they're also absolute experts on how to be led by people living in poverty. And they do a fantastic job of um, educating us all on the right words to use and the right messaging and the right framework for kind of talking about these issues in a non-stigmatizing, really effective way. Thanks to Alyssa for having time to chat, especially considering how busy Magic Breakfast are uh, right now with all the schools going back. Um, They really are doing remarkable, remarkable work. So do check out their website at magicbreakfast.com. Follow them on Twitter at magic underscore breakfast, at Magic Brecky on Instagram and Magic Breakfast UK on Facebook. And follow them in all those places and donate to them in all those places as well, if you can afford to. And um, if you're following them everywhere, you will be able to help and support all their upcoming campaigns to make sure that kids don't go hungry. Um, They are properly brilliant. Please do help them out. If you've got suggestions for who I should interview on this podcast or really anything at all to do with this podcast or indeed just what I'm doing with my life, then you can send any such wisdom to at Bro on Twitter, the Partly Political Broadcast group on Facebook, the contact page at partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk or just email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Or you could reveal it during an exclusive interview with Oprah, but I'll never hear that bit as I'll have zero interest in watching it and I'll only get to see the newspaper headlines as they all say no one cares about it even they're doing 40 pages of coverage and they're all angry that you won't say a berg with your fingers which makes you worse than Hitler or something. So, as always, it's probably just best to email, isn't it? And that's it for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast, so you know you can carry on with your day now. Were you planning anything nice, like tidying up the cupboard so you can sit in there and hide till it's all over? Or maybe rearrange your toes, or perhaps give your local potholes a clean so they look all sparkly when you drive into them. Well, whatever you have planned, I hope it goes delightfully, and thank you for choosing to listen to this show. Fact, it is a show uh, before your important duties. Uh, If you've enjoyed any of the sounds I or my squeaky chair have made, then please do announce such things to others who may enjoy. Give it a few nice words and a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, or one of them other podcast review holes and should you be feeling generous maybe even fling enough coinage my way for a coffee or 12 at ko-fi.com forward slash bro the patreon.com forward slash bro page or the ACAST supporter button all of the eternal gracious thanks to ACAST my brother last sceptic Cat Day and Katie Coxall and this will be back next week when Boris Johnson announces a U-turn on nurses pay rise of 1% by saying there won't be a pay rise at all now but for every hour a nurse works they can work two more hours for free and then is baffled when the entire health service vanishes overnight bye this week's show is sponsored by Lord Frost Insurance bashed your car stop moaning it's your fault someone drove into you if you'd had a nicer car to begin with they might have respected it more now piss off it's lunchtime at tim hortons and we're serving up a special deal just for you our new 5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Horton's new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs> 